Welcome to episode 100 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about the first 100 episodes. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Abraham Lincoln, socialism in America, lessons learned from the coronavirus, price gouging, Joe Biden, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com, which recently got kicked off of Facebook. So check out Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. As the title of this episode indicates, this is a recap of the lessons I learned in the production of the first 100 episodes of the TruthQuest podcast. As I've mentioned before, the main reason I started the TruthQuest podcast was because I was tired of finding out that much of what I'd learned in school, heard in the news, or what passed as common knowledge was simply wrong. I was tired of people in positions of power, whether that be a teacher, a professor, a commentator, or a columnist, a politician, or heaven forbid, a famous actor or athlete, passed on biased opinions or outright lies and propaganda about politics, history, and public policy. And you know what? That goes for you too. I don't want you to trust me to deliver the truth. I want you to absorb what I present and go do your own research. Be your own truth seeker. Use this podcast as a springboard. I was tired of arguing against national Democrats and for national Republicans because I slowly, over the course of a decade or so, I slowly realized that there really is no difference between the two. It forced me to reevaluate my arguments. It forced me to say, the hell with the parties, the hell with the ideology, what is the truth? That's all I cared about. If George Bush or Trump are wrong about something, I'll point it out just as quickly as if Clinton or Obama were wrong. The truth is not relative. Right and wrong do exist. There is black and white. There is no such thing as your truth. It's either true or it ain't. The religion of moral relativism is poison. As I reflect back on the first hundred episodes, I identified a handful of themes. For the next 20 minutes or so, I want to walk you through those themes and the key learnings from the episodes. Along the way, I'll mention episode numbers, so if the topic is of interest to you, you can easily dial them up. Hope you enjoy. For any of you who is a regular listener, you know that my favorite topic on the podcast is the United States Constitution. And if I had to choose one episode for you to listen to, I would hands down choose episode number three, The Truth About the Constitution, with the subtitle, Where in the Constitution? The key takeaway here is, if the Constitution is silent on an issue, then the federal government should have nothing to do with it, period, End of story, no debate, no whatabouts. I refer quite often to Article 1, Section 8, which dictates the few and defined powers granted by the Constitution to the federal government. In Episode 3, I follow that discussion with a list of things that are not on the list, i.e. that the Constitution is silent on, 
like marriage, abortion, health insurance, old age pensions, infrastructure spending, foreign aid, education, student loans, bailout of corporations, I think you get the picture. I've described the Constitution as America's rule book. And as I said in episode 98, The Truth About Abraham Lincoln, we can have a government of men or a government of rules. A government of men is a government of the whims of men, and men are by nature sinful, greedy, and power-hungry. It was James Madison who said if men were angels, no government would be necessary. And if angels were to govern men, neither external or internal controls on government would be necessary. My point is that government of rules runs regardless of who is in charge. The rule of law rules, not the people in charge. That is why I harp on the Constitution so often, because it's our rule book, and it has been ignored and bastardized. Regular listeners and constitutionally literate people also know that through the Constitution, the states created the federal government, assigned them few enumerated powers, and all other powers were left to the states. With that very basic recap of the founding of the United States comes the most radical, all-encompassing conclusion that I arrived at in the first hundred episodes of this podcast, and that is the fact that we live in a post-Constitution America, and the majority of Americans either do not care or have no clue. It didn't take long for the forces of darkness to begin expanding the power of the federal government. Hell, George Washington himself violated it, when he led a federal militia into Pennsylvania to quell the Whiskey Rebellion. Then the second president, John Adams, and the Congress passed the Alien and Sedition Acts. It was downhill from there. The rule book has been torn down over the last two and a half centuries, one piece at a time. I've dedicated entire episodes to many of these topics, but here's just a few. The 16th Amendment, which is episode 64. The 17th Amendment. This is where senators were no longer appointed by the state legislatures, essentially being ambassadors to the states in D.C. Now, thanks to the 17th Amendment, they are elected by popular vote, and with the help of big money lobbyists and donors, can be bought, blackmailed, and become career politicians who ignore their constituents and accumulate massive wealth. The Federal Reserve, of course, has been one of the most damaging unconstitutional entities in the history of our nation, as was the unconstitutional removal of our currency from the gold standard. Listen to episodes 27 and 28 for the Federal Reserve and episode 62 for the gold standard and sound money. We have not declared war since World War II. See episodes 82 for a discussion on that. We've had Supreme Court opinions accepted as legislation. More on that in a minute, but that's episode 16. How about Social Security? Episode 8. Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare Part D. Asset forfeiture laws. How about the federal minimum wage laws? Episode 4. Student loans. Episode 39. What about the hundreds of unconstitutional federal agencies? The Department of Education, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Interior Department, the Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, Labor Department, Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Energy Department, Small Business Administration, the Commerce Department, the Department of Transportation, Amtrak, the Food and Drug Administration, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the Export-Import Bank. In episode 73, I laid out the case for the return to a constitutional America. That would be no more federal declarations of definition of marriage, no more socialized medicine, that's episode 12, 
No more Fed involvement in the education of our children. No more federal meddling in gun control measures. That's episode 18. No more federal involvement in labor laws. The abortion industry would have to deal with 50 individual states. That's episodes 2, 46, 47, and 86. No more corporate bailouts. No more federally elected officials running around trying to cripple our economy over climate change. No more TSA. No more federal welfare programs or farm subsidies. No more foreign aid. No more federal gas tax that goes into the federal coffers, never to be seen again, yet promise for infrastructure spending. No more FDA delaying potential life-saving drugs. No more federal tax credits for buying electric vehicles. No more NSA spying. No more IRS. Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife Service. The U.S. Commission of Fine Arts. Gone. Mine Safety and Health Administration. Gone. I could go on for 20 minutes. As a matter of fact, in, my, in the first chapter of my book, Critical Thinking, I provide four pages of unconstitutional federal agencies if you're interested. So, back to the Constitution. In episode 37, The Truth About the Bill of Rights, I came to realize the damage done to the country by something called the Incorporation Doctrine, which basically applies the Bill of Rights to the states. See, that's not the way it was supposed to work out. The Bill of Rights, which really should have been called the Bill of Restrictions Against the Federal Government, only applied to the feds. Over the years, the Supreme Court issued opinions that were accepted as law that the Bill of Rights applied to the states, which it most certainly does not. And then there's three episodes in the Federalist Papers, episodes 43 through 45, which offer some great insight into the minds of the Founding Fathers, how they represented the newly created Constitution to their, to their contemporaries as they shopped it around the colonies looking for ratification. As the federal government grew over the centuries, it has become clear to anyone with a lick of sense that the federal government is too big to succeed. Literally everything the feds get involved in ends up broken, with waste, fraud, and abuse of biblical proportions. The federal government literally has a 100% failure rate. It's quite remarkable. All of this, however, was avoidable and predictable back during the founding of the nation by the Anti-Federalists, which I dedicated in Episode 2 and Episode 75. Along those same lines, another conclusion I arrived at after the first 100 episodes is that the only thing that can save America from ruin is if a handful of states secede from the Union, set up their own country, their own government, with their own gold-based currency, its own military, its own Im immigration policy, etc. I dedicated two episodes to the topic of secession, 87 and 88. See, the problem is, the United States, as it's run by our overlords in D.C., it's beyond reform. It's beyond repair. They will continue to print money until China or Russia or Turkey or the EU or Japan says enough is enough. We are no longer buying your bonds. We're no longer going to use the United States dollar as the world's reserve currency. That's when the shit's going to hit the fan. Another related topic that I learned about during the first hundred episodes is the idea of nullification. Listen to episode 23 if you're interested in that. This concept was first articulated here in the States by James Madison and Thomas Jefferson in 1798 in response to John Adams' Alien and Sedition Acts, which were wildly unconstitutional. I mentioned that a minute ago. The idea being that the states do not have to do everything the federal government says. Anything that is unconstitutional is null and void anyway, and therefore should be ignored. The most obvious implementation of this practice is the federal marijuana laws. How many states have actually legalized the drug? 
That's a federal offense. Talk about nullification. But there are a number of other areas of nullification, like the right to try laws, gun control measures, asset forfeiture laws, surveillance, the ability to sell raw milk, believe it or not, warrantless stingray spying. I mean, the list goes on and on. One of the most memorable realizations I arrived at during the first hundred episodes was regarding the Supreme Court, as I mentioned a minute ago. Way back in episode 16, I made the following point, that if you take nothing else away from this episode, take this. The Supreme Court issues opinions, not rulings, not decisions, not legislation. They issue opinions on a singular case being argued in front of them. Their opinion on that case only applies to that one case. It doesn't get applied to the entire country. The Supreme Court has become a tool of the left to chip away at the Constitution year after year, decade after decade, and now at this point, century after century, with death by a million bad precedents. One unconstitutional case opinion is applied to another case, which is applied to another case, which is applied to another case, until you get to the point where the Constitution literally is rewritten. Not only is the judiciary the weakest branch of the government, but did you know that the Supreme Court is not supreme? It's not supreme when it comes to interpreting the Constitution. The other branches of government, the executive and legislative, have an equal say, especially in the enforcement of the opinions, and the states have an equal say as well. They can always ignore Supreme Court opinions. Think about it. Why would the Founding Fathers have created the federal government and then grant a federal agency, the Supreme Court, the sole power to interpret the Constitution? Answer, they didn't. It would be the proverbial fox guarding the hen house. The concept of judicial review is a fabrication of the court. It has no basis in Article Three of the Constitution. The Supreme Court is supreme in only one way, over lower federal courts. It's not supreme over any other branch of government. Congress plainly has constitutional authority to define and restrict the, ju the jurisdiction of the federal courts. Speaking of Congress, I also arrived at the conclusion that the real blame of the demise of the country lies directly at the feet of Congress, who have abdicated their constitutional duties as a check and balance against the executive and judicial branches for decades. They never cut spending. They never impeach federal judges who overstep their bounds. They never impeach presidents for starting and fighting undeclared wars. They never bring single-issue bills up for a vote. Instead, they bring thousand-page bills to the floor for a vote after posting it online two hours earlier so no one has time to read it. And the government grows, and the government grows, and the government grows. As I mentioned a minute ago in reference to episode 82, no president has declared war since World War II. That's a constitutionally required mandate. That's another abdication of congressional duties with tens of thousands of wounded and dead American soldiers and millions of dead and maimed people all over the globe. Congress is supposed to declare war, and the president serves as a commander-in-chief. But Congress is full of cowards who don't want to vote for anything that makes them susceptible to scrutiny. That's why they refuse to present single-issue, single-topic bills for up-or-down votes. It leaves every congressman uttering these words when asked, Why did you vote for that bill? Well, you know, I, uh, 
you know, it had some pork in it and a lot of stuff I disagree with. But, you know, I had to vote for the Make America Great Bill or the Patriot Act or the CARE Act or the Heroes Act, whatever the feel-good name they give it. Congress is a joke and worthy of contempt of the American people. I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm most proud of the four episodes I produced on the abortion debate. The research and the refinement of the arguments in order to put together a cogent episode solidified my pro-life stance. I no longer hesitate to speak up to anyone about abortion because I know more than ever that it's a slam-dunk case. In episode 2, The Truth About Abortion, I introduced the most important question that all pro-lifers should use. What about the baby? I have yet to get a pro-abortion advocate willing to answer that question. I've gotten fence-sitting pro-choicers to answer it, and quite honestly, it's a damn near 100% conversion rate with those folks. After they regurgitate all the talking points about the woman's right to their body, health care for women, what right do men have to tell women what to do with their body, their choice, I simply ask them, well, what about the baby? In episode 33, I outlined the mental gymnastics required by pro-abortion advocates to make their argument in favor of the murder of babies in the womb. Then I spent two episodes, episode 46 and 47, dissecting the Roe v. Wade opinion. And it's incredible for two reasons. Number one, it's incredible how sick and twisted the majority decision is. And number two, it's incredible that no one on the pro-life side actually uses the opinion in defense of pro-life measures. It's right there in black and white. The opinion leaves plenty of room for states to restrict abortions. Another important lesson I learned from these first 100 episodes is the importance of questions. So from episode 13, I have this to say. One of the takeaways from the TruthQuest podcast should be to learn how to ask questions. You don't have to confront opposing viewpoints with a counterpoint, especially not when you have truth on your side. A lot of people are afraid of confrontation, and they claim that they don't know enough about a particular topic to get into a discussion with somebody. What these people fail to realize is they are not engaging in a boxing match, trading punches with their debate partner. You are simply helping your debate partner seek the truth, and you're using questions that force them to articulate or defend their views as one of the most powerful weapons you have in your arsenal. So one of the best questions you can ask is, what do you mean by that? All credit needs to go to Greg Kopel for that question. He has a great book called Tactics, if you're interested. This what-do-you-mean-by-that question is non-confrontational, and it actually shows interest in what the person is saying, but it forces them to go beyond the regurgitated talking points that they heard on CNN or MSNBC. I mean, the fact of the matter is, people who refuse a conversation about a topic, it's, it's dangerous. It leaves, it leaves them closed-minded. It leaves them seeking affirmation of their biases. My experience has been that when someone refuses to have a conversation about something, it usually means they are unable to explain why they hold certain opinions. Sometimes it's because they really do not have any level of conviction on what they're saying. They may be too embarrassed or too proud to admit it. The use of gentle, probing questions can be used to draw these folks out into a conversation. The next most profound lesson learned from the first 100 episodes of the TruthQuest podcast is the left's use of name-calling, ridicule, and slander. In the end, I came to realize that the name-calling is nothing more than a stall tactic. It's a, it's a debate avoidance tactic. The idea being that if I call you a name, you'll spend all of your time defending your honor against the defaming claim, rather than going on the offensive and destroying their ideological foes. 
You've heard all the names, the mocking, the ridicule, the racist, you're a white supremacist, homophobe, transphobe, bigot, xenophobe, sexist, misogynist, you're a denier, a deplorable, a hater. Now the name-calling and the intolerance is evolving into online censorship, deplatforming, and shadow banning by the likes of Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Heaven forbid your opinion stray from the 3x5 card of allowable opinion. In episode 59, I produced an episode called The Truth About What We Agree On. Now, most people agree that Washington, D.C. is a cesspool. Most people agree that D.C. is full of people with little interest in doing the right thing for their constituents. They only care about getting reelected and getting rich. Some of the other things that most of us can agree on that I highlight in this episode include the need to reduce the national debt, the need to stop being the world's policemen and fighting perpetual wars, We typically agree that people with terminal illness should be able to use whatever drugs they want, i.e. right to try laws, rather than waiting for the federal government to approve it. Most of us agree that civil asset forfeiture laws are illegal and constitutional. Most of us agree that surveillance state is illegal and unconstitutional. Most of us agree on term limits for Congress, and we agree on tort reform. Most of us would prefer if our money was sound. And most of us agree that one-size-fits-all is not the preferred solution i.e. federalism, is superior. But instead of focusing on these things we agree on, we fight over stupid, inconsequential shit. And the reason we do this is, I think, is because of ignorance, apathy, affluence, team cheerleading, and confirmation bias. What else explains the left's ability to spew forth obviously failed policy positions like socialized medicine, minimum wage, and free stuff, if not for ignorance and team cheerleading and confirmation bias? What else explains the ability of the establishment in both parties to run up the national debt, to start undeclared wars, to pass legislation whose sole purpose is to violate our constitutional rights like the surveillance state or asset forfeiture laws, if not for apathy, which is bred by affluence? When I look back at the bulk of the episodes besides the constitutional-related topics, I inadvertently found myself in the business of myth-busting, I guess that's just the nature of my personal charter for this podcast, which is Seeking the Truth. So a fair amount of the episodes are are either ripped from the headlines, like episode 18 about gun control, episode 25 about government shutdowns, I did one on the Electoral College, episode 34, I touched on Julian Assange and Edward Snowden, that's episodes 42 and 72 respectively, Mass Shootings is episode 58. Walmart, which is much maligned, episode 65, and of course, Joe Biden, episode 91. Or there's sometimes there's just topics from history that have been presented inaccurately over the decades or centuries. Episode 38 was the truth about the Democratic Party. Episode 80, the truth about democracies. And then the most recent episodes, the truth about Abraham Lincoln, part one and two. I produced four episodes busting the myth of socialism. Five, if you count episode 90, The Truth About Bernie Sanders. Episodes 31 and 32 is just a laid out The Truth About Socialism. Episode 57 is The Truth About Free Stuff. And then recently, episode 96, The Truth About Socialism in America, where I make the argument that America really already is a socialist country. I think all of those are useful, given the country's and the world's continued penchant for socialism. I cover a lot of social issues on the podcast, most of which would fall in the category of myth-busting because the corporate media's coverage is so one-sided. Episode 7, The Truth About Climate Change. 
I present a whole host of evidence against the corporate press's push to destroy the economy, all in the name of an unproven theory. Episode 20, The Truth About Birthright Citizenship, my research for this episode completely changed my initial opinion on this topic. The gender pay gap, white privilege, hate speech, episodes 41, 69, and 76 respectively, all of those topics are widely misreported and propagandized in the corporate press. Besides the Constitution, economics is my favorite topic. We've covered a lot of economic territory in the first hundred episodes. There's lots of crossover between myth-busting and economic episodes. Episode 4, The Truth About Minimum Wage, busted that myth. Episode 8, Social Security, Ponzi Scheme. Episode 24, The Truth About Tariffs, Who Actually Pays. Episodes 27 and 28, The Truth About the Federal Reserve, Corrupt, Unconstitutional, Damaging, Dangerous, Irresponsible, Unnecessary. The Truth About Billionaires, Episode 36, the vilification of people who have contributed enormously to society is the height of irresponsibility by politicians who perpetrate class warfare. Episode 62, one of the most important episodes I did, The Truth About Gold and Sound Money. So few Americans understand what the Constitution mandates for our currency. I mean, if 70% of Americans understood the concept of sound money, there would be a revolution in this country. Episode 63, The Truth About the Wealth Tax. The National Democrats pull no punches when it comes to employing greed and jealousy to get votes. What about the truth about negative interest rates? That's episode 67. I would venture to guess that less than 5% of people around the world know what negative interest rates are. But they sure as hell are getting ready to find out. Episode 83, the truth about capitalism, which is so maligned by National Democrats, liberals, and progressives. The ironic thing about the trashing of capitalism and casting blame on it is these same libs have pushed so many regulations into the marketplace that capitalism is no longer practiced. So how the hell can you blame a system that's not even in operation? And finally, in episode 92, The Truth About Price Gouging, I pose this question. Would you rather have overpriced toilet paper or no toilet paper? And of course, any podcast worth its salt must produce content that is related to the headlines of the day. But I try to t- pick topics that are not only myth-busting, but build awareness, ones that can be used to teach a lesson, or I try to set the record straight. For example, the truth about vaping and California wildfires, that's episode 29 and 71. The takeaway from those two episodes is the disastrous consequences of government interference. Episodes like The Truth About Do Something, Red Flag Laws, Episode 60, or Episode 61, The Truth About the Chinese Social Credit Score System, or Episode 56, The Truth About the Libra, Facebook's Cryptocurrency, all of those episodes were basically, hey, did you guys know this? I was trying to build awareness around issues that get scat attention, but have lessons built right in. Because the corporate press has proven itself largely useless, not only on social issues, but just reporting the news without slanting it in their ideological direction, I find myself tackling topics almost as a way of setting the record straight or giving the other side of the story. In episode 6, The Truth About Colin Kaepernick, I tackled his national anthem protests. Episode 51, The Truth About Immigrant Children in Cages at the Border, another story that was not portrayed accurately in the press. Or, Episode 53, The Truth About Earnings Disparity in Professional Soccer. The coverage of these stories are, are embarrassingly one-sided and conveniently leave out relevant facts. Facts, not emotions. 
Then there are a few ripped-from-the-headline episodes like Citizenship Question on the Census or Trump Derangement Syndrome or the killing of Kasim Soleimani and, of course, the coronavirus. Those are episodes 54, 73, 81, and 94, 95. Originally, my goal was to produce Christian Apologetic episode every fifth episode. So I look back, I've produced 11 so far, so it's more like every tenth episode, I guess. But nonetheless, I think the episodes will serve their evergreen purpose for many years to come. You can listen to them today or next year or 30 years from now. The message is still valuable. And of course, I try to weave my Christian beliefs throughout the episodes where appropriate. But I certainly learned a lot in the research and production of these Christian episodes. I looked at the the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in episode 5. We tackled God and evil in episode 10. We looked at prayer in episode 15. We looked at the life of Jesus in episode 22. We examined the Judeo-Christian tradition in episode 26. We looked at the historical reliability of the New Testament in episode 30. The existence of God in episode 35. We then compared and contrast Islam, Christianity, and Judaism in episode 40. Then I pulled some content from a book I wrote a few years ago called The Proverbs Project and produce a couple episodes about the truth about wisdom, episode 48 and 49, and finally episode 77, the truth about the good news. Early on in the podcast, I published four episodes around the topic of health care after having lived through the Obama administration's abomination of the so-called Affordable Care Act. In episode 9, I explained how health care in America worked successfully prior to the federal government's involvement, via Medicare, Medicaid, and hosts of regulations. Then in episode 12, I explain what socialized medicine really means and the results of those systems. With that groundwork laid, I then tackled Obamacare in episode 14, followed by episode 17, where I offered solutions to the problems we have in the American healthcare system. Late last year, I started producing month in review episodes where I cover the news from the previous month. Since I can't produce a daily show, this provides me with an opportunity to offer some remarks and commentary around the news of the day. And based on the download stats, those episodes seem to be pretty popular with you guys. And I have a handful of off-the-wall random topics like the truth about Fortnite, which is a popular video game, or it was. That's episode 11. The Truth About Thanksgiving, episode 21, and The Truth About English Soccer Play-By-Play Commentary. That one was kind of fun. That's episode 52. So I hope you guys enjoyed the first 100 episodes of the Truth Quest podcast. If there are topics that you would like me to tackle, please let me know on the podcast Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. And if you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information.